I want to read these words from Isaiah chapter 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace, that you are a gracious God who comes to us in ways that are surprising, in ways that are everyday, in ways that are life-changing, because you love us. God, you know what we thirst for. You know the questions we have. As we look again at Jesus, may you quench our thirst, may you answer our questions, may you give us a deeper hunger for your kingdom. Because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, um, blokes, guys, this is, a, this is for you, this kind of illustration, a little story to start with. I want you to imagine that you're in West Wales, somewhere remote, an area of West Wales that you don't know, a land of mists and mellow fruitfulness. Well, probably wet, actually. Um, you're in your car. And you've been running out of petrol for, for a fair bit of time. Um, at your stubborn best, you still haven't asked anybody where the nearest petrol station is. Um, the needle is about to drop below the red line. You turn a corner, and there sitting on a seat outside her house is a woman. To be honest, it looks like she's seen better days. Probably looks older than she really is. Her house stands alone by itself, a bit disheveled. She looks a bit strange to you. What would you do? Would you go and ask her where the nearest petrol station was, hoping that she spoke not just Welsh but English? Or would you believe that you'd have the, 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 the good fortune around the next corner there would be a petrol station? Second little story for your reflection this is a transcript of an actual radio conversation between a U.S. naval ship and the Canadian authorities off the coastland of Newfoundland in October 1995. These are radio conversations that were released by the Chief of Naval Operations on the 10th of October 1995. The American ship, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The Canadians, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Americans, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. The Canadians, no, I say again, you divert your course. The Americans, this is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Canadians, this is a lighthouse. Your call.
We live in a fantastic world where we can do wonderful things because of technology. We are becoming more and more independent and self-sufficient as human beings. We rarely have to ask anyone for anything. In fact, it's a measure of how well we're doing. My kids get embarrassed regularly. If I, in my curiosity, want to speak to somebody and ask them something that they don't know, oh, Dad, Dad, stop it, just behave. And yet, on our planet, we have a population that's increasing. We have people traveling and meeting people from across the world like never before. Like never before, we need to better humble ourselves and apply ourselves to understand our neighbor, the stranger, our friend. As Christians, we believe that everyone all over the world has been made in God's image. That's what we believe. That God loves everyone that he's made and that together we are God's people. And yet when the churches themselves lack harmony, is unity ever possible even amongst Christians? We are doing a series in John's Gospel and marveling at the different presentations that John's drawing us towards, looking to the one who stands at the centre of John's Gospel. Each chapter circles around the person and the work of Christ and another dimension of his identity and mission is revealed through encounter, through, through symbolism, through a, a looking again into his grace. We've already noticed that John's gospel is quite different to the other called synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, strikingly different, no narratives, birth narratives and etc., stuff like that. What I want to bring to your attention today is that when you read the Synoptic Gospels, it can look, certainly with Matthew, as if Jesus just came to the Jews. And that was Jesus' own understanding. In Matthew chapter 15, when he encounters the, um, the Canaanite woman, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He does say that. And then we've got John's Gospel, who in the first chapter says, here is the Logos, the living word who was there at the creation of the world. Here, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Last week we heard Jesus speaking with Nicodemus, and we had, as we mentioned in our second scene, Jesus saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Here now in chapter 4, we see John's point of Jesus, the cosmic Christ, crossing borders, is enfleshed in this wonderful story of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman, which can be read in so many, so many points taken from it. Jesus was choosing to go through Samaria. Interesting. Most Jews didn't do that at that time. As we well know, there was an enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans. But Jesus chose to go through. He could have avoided it like many other people, but he chose to go. Interesting, you look at that at the start of the passage. Was it the Spirit? Was it Jesus? He went through Samaria. And at noon, he sits down and almost says, right, what's going to happen next? Who's going to come to me? Who's going to be the first person? Because here I am in Samaria. And what happens next is mind-boggling. And it's hard for us to realize just how mind-boggling it is. Jesus asks a woman, a Samaritan woman, 
for a drink of water. It's striking, John's Gospel, another reason for its strikingness is the order in which John presents things. We've said that each chapter is a bit like a portrait that we look into. And we can look into for a long time to learn more about Jesus and his mission. Last week, as I said, we were looking at Nicodemus. Nicodemus who came at night in fear of what others would think. Nicodemus, a highly respected religious leader. And so it is wonderfully juxtaposed to Jesus meeting in our chapter today a woman, no name, a woman, a Samaritan woman, a disrespectful woman. The parallels and the contrast between Jesus meeting Nicodemus and what they said and what is said today is fascinating, but that's for another day, that's for a house group. But in speaking with the woman, in this encounter, Jesus breaks at least three socially accepted customs. She was a Samaritan. Jews did not have anything to do with Samaritans. Secondly, she was a woman. Jesus was to avoid contact with women. And thirdly, she had a very dodgy moral track record. Why do you think she came to the well at that time of day? So that nobody else would see her. As a result of this encounter, Jesus, the, the Jew, would find himself... Um, richly unclean because of what he was doing. And yet he asks the woman, he chooses to ask the woman for a cup of water. Jesus breaks through all of this stuff and speaks to her as one human being to another and says, I'm thirsty. Could you give me something to drink? It's a slightly curious and odd conversation, but I think, if you look at it, it reflects a cross-cultural conversation, where sometimes cultural stereotypes are aired. Oh yes, you people, you believe that, don't you? And sometimes, with, with language difficulties, some words are picked out and run away with. I know when we, you learn language, if you hear some of the phrase, you, you hook onto that and you answer that bit of the question, so that you're in control of the conversation. Um, was that what she was doing, the Samaritan woman? when Jesus mentioned things to her? Or was she deflecting Jesus' questions, knowing fine well what he was asking her, but found them so pertinent that she would much rather deflect them in a way which is saying, well, yes, I was brought up in a Methodist church. Interesting you should say that. Um, But then my sister and brother went to the Baptist youth club, and then we moved away, and I never really went anywhere since then. What strikes me also is Jesus' boldness in this conversation. In our church, we want to have smaller groups so that we can hold each other to account in love and say, how are you doing? And maybe some of our groups aren't there yet. It takes a long time to build such a relationship of trust. But that's what we want to have. He's asking her about her marriage. Personal stuff. And the beauty, the heart, the essence of this encounter is the water. And she says, I want to have this water. Give me this living water, she says, so that I might not have to come back here. And Jesus says, just says in John chapter 4. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
a spring, a well, forever producing water, satisfying, that goes on into eternal life. The quality of life now is fused with that which goes on forever. Living water. And so we have this fabulous cross-cultural encounter in which Jesus says, I am there for you. Doesn't matter which, where your background's from. Doesn't matter your sex. Doesn't matter what other people think of you. I am asking you for something. The gospel is not exclusive, but God's love is for everyone. Here we have the impartiality of God. Jesus inviting those on the margins of society to come to the center. Those who've come from a different tradition to say, no, there's a place for you. Jesus says, I am for woman. It's interesting, he receives, interesting for the Anglican church, he receives from a woman in this story. Jesus said, for people who we might consider our enemies, for the outsider, for people that are different to us. Churches are often full of, of a certain type of person, for bookie people. That's not what, who Jesus came for. And if you were to think of somebody, who today would be the, the woman that Jesus met? Who would you suggest? As I was thinking about it, I thought, oh, should I say this out loud? This is kind of getting a bit close to the bone. But I'd maybe suggest it was a, a Muslim woman who accused of adultery by men. Maybe, I don't know what you would say. If we bring the story right up to where we are today. As Christians, we rejoice that the gospel, the good news, is God's love is cross-cultural. It crosses borders. It crosses cultures. And helps us appreciate that God loves folks like us, but God loves folks who are not like us. The challenge comes for us to put this into practice. When we say we are one in Christ, but are we really? How do we show that by how we live? I say that because... Um, here's some cultural pictures of the story. I don't know which one you like best from different parts of the world of this encounter that express the encounter culturally. But it's interesting. It was last year that European leaders, almost with one voice, said, no, multiculturalism has failed. Do you remember that? I was quite struck by that. At the time, partly explained the riots last year, they said, no, multi this policy of state multiculturalism has failed. Angela Merkel said it. Sarkozy said it. David Cameron said it. We have people living alongside each other, but we don't have harmony. We don't have people sharing life together. We have groups who live in ignorance of one another within our own country. So this is a failed policy, this multiculturalism. I wonder what we make of that. We sang a moment ago, God welcomes all, strangers and friends. What about in our church? As Camberham becomes more diverse, surely we too, as a Christian community, need to reflect that diversity. Maybe we're a church, though, where people who are different to us live alongside us, but we don't actually share much together. Maybe we're at that stage. I was interested to know how this applied because I get excited about cross-cultural things. I find being an outsider a really interesting and refreshing place to be. And as Christians, we are that in the eyes of the world. But what does it mean to be a multicultural people, to be God's people, 
that transcends our ethnicity, transcends where we come from, the way that we speak. So I asked those people in our congregation uh, to help me with this, those who are born outside of the UK, and I asked them these questions. Do you think we are or are becoming a multicultural church? What are the challenges that need to be faced for this to happen? How might we embrace a more multicultural identity? And is this issue important for you? I was thrilled with the answers that I got. Thank you for all of you who, who gave me answers. I haven't got enough space on the slides to give all your, put your answers up there. But I tell you what, you had ref, reflected so much on this. I want to take this to church council and for us to wrestle with this because this is an issue for us as a church. But I want to turn and hear some answers to the first question. Do you think we are or are we becoming a multicultural church? Now I'm encouraged by these answers because they're different. Not everyone had the same view on this. And I think straight away that's a good thing. Some people said, look, look around this morning. Because people are here, therefore we're multicultural. Other people said, well... Only when we show we do things in a different way and include cultures actively, then we're truly multicultural. If you remember in our recent survey we did of our community, it was found that we are becoming increasingly diverse. And so there's things such as setting up a, a lunch club for people for an international lunch club is something we feel is part of our mission and we want to do um, the international afternoon we had with the with Cameron Crescent with the Roman Catholics with the Chinese um, and others is is important to us can I move on to the second one sorry not enough time to read all of these I just want to give you a flavor of some of these responses what are the challenges to become more culti- multicultural it's difficult isn't it we can't be everything to all people that's, that's really difficult to achieve. We'll never be perfect in that kind of way. But we do want people to feel ownership and belonging and feel that we want to keep pushing the boundaries and say, no, there's another way of playing that. It doesn't have to be that style. Listen again to what, the way it's sung in a different place. Read that a bit differently. Sit in that position and see how it feels, what the, what the gospel is saying to you. So yes, there are certainly challenges for us as we, as we make it happen. As you see, you've got different views there as regards how integrated people feel about faith in this country. And sadly, I mean, you know fine well as I do, there are plenty of churches that are not multicultural. We talk about being one in Christ, but one in reality? It seems like they reduce themselves. We can reduce ourselves to a group of like-minded people from a particular ethnic background. I don't see that when I see God's invitation to discipleship or being part of his kingdom that turns the values of the world upside down and says, no, it's more, this identity of being Christian is more important than your faithfulness to your supermarket. It's more important than your faithfulness to your bank. It's more important than your nationality. What does that you know, count for? In Christ we are saved. In Christ we find hope for ourselves and for our planet. How might we become more multicultural as a church? Some suggestions up there about things that we have done. I 
means making an effort, though. That's what strikes me about these comments. means making an effort. And in our church, think about yourself, who we mix with. Do we enjoy the richness of our church community in the way that we could? I think expanding our understanding of the gospel would come from that, from listening to those that are different to us. And having a church which has got a breadth of understanding. I think that's important. We're a multi-denominational church. We want to be a multicultural church. We need to work at this. And finally, I asked the question, is this important for you, this issue? And people said, yes, it is. Because I am who I am. Here I am. Don't just accept me on your terms. If you really love me, you love me for who I am and where I come from. Interesting, that first comment as well, in terms of working at it. I grew up in a country in a time where people of other cultures were frowned upon and treated differently. I could almost say that we were conditioned to be racist by avoiding mixing with other cultures. We've got to work at it. We've got to make it happen. We've got to appreciate and listen to those voices that are different for ourselves if we want to be God's people with an identity that's different to other groups that are around us. I want to finish with this quote that somebody gave me. We should aspire to build a church where we all have a sense of belonging and where our faiths can continue to flourish through the spiritual enrichment of our shared diversity. What about you? What do you think of all of this? Am I just being politically correct? What's going on? Do you want to take a moment, actually, and turn around turn with, with, and chat with somebody about this issue, what, what's been raised this morning, and say what you feel about it? Can you do that just for a couple of minutes? I'm sorry to have to cut across you. I realise it's already gone 20 past, so we're probably... That was a starter for 10, and take that conversation away over coffee, if you want to. Um, I think it's a really interesting and important issue for us as a church, and one that we'll be addressing as a church council, to positively look to how we can be more multicultural and promote that in a way that's gospel-centred. There's a wonderful vision of heaven in Revelation. It says this in Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people and language. Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches. And they cried out, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength to be our God forever and ever. Amen. We're reading John's Gospel. John, when he was in his old age, used to get wheeled out. And people said to him, you were with Jesus. What was the secret of his success? Just tell us something that he said. Go on, tell us one of the stories again. As an old man, he looked at them and said simply, love one another. Let's pray. Let's pray using these words on the screen. You broke down the barriers when you crept in beside us. For in Jesus, the smiling Jesus, the storytelling Jesus, the controversial Jesus, the annoying Jesus, the loving and forgiving Jesus, your hands touched all.
and touched us, showing us how in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, all are one in Jesus Christ, and for this we praise you. You opened our eyes to see the, how the hands of the rich were empty and the hearts of the poor were full. You dared to take the widow's might, the young boy's loaves, the child at the breast, and in these simple things point out the path to your kingdom. You said, follow me, for on your own you'll never discover that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female. All are one in Jesus Christ, and for this we praise you. You gave us hands to hold, black hands, brown hands, white hands, African hands, Asian hands, the clasping hands of lovers, the reluctant hands of those who don't believe that they are worth holding. And when we wanted to shake our fist, you still wanted to shake our hand, because in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, all are one in Jesus Christ. And for this we praise you. Here in the company of the neighbour whom we know and the stranger in our midst and the self from whom we turn, we ask to love as Jesus loved. Make this the place and time, good Lord, when heaven and earth can merge into one and when we in word and flesh can grasp that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, all are one in Jesus Christ. And for this we praise you.